All right, thank you very much. That sets up very well what we're about ready to look at, and that is Mary's Magnificat. If you got your Bibles, turn to the book with me to the book of Luke, and we're going to lead, read the first um, seven verses before that to set up uh, Mary's song, and then we will look primarily at Mary's song. So let us give our hearts and minds attention to God's Word. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in their thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he has spoken to our fathers, to Abraham and his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her for about three months and returned to her home. Let's pray. God, we ask that your blessing would be upon this word. And Lord, that it would teach your church here in the 21st century what it means to be a worshiper of you. We thank you that these words were recorded for all eternity. And may you help me to apply these to my life and to the lives that are here. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I have a question for you. During this time of year, one of the great phrases we hear is the Christmas spirit. But what is the Christmas spirit? And what does that truly mean to say that person has the Christmas spirit? Is it perhaps that giving spirit of Ebenezer Scrooge when he went around and gave toys to all the kids after his life was changed? Or is it the amount of booze that were bought over the season? In 1997, Americans spent $75 million over Christmas for the spirit that was in the bottle. (laughs) Or is it the spending? As you know, many retailers make it or break it based on how they do during the month of December. A couple years ago, I spoke to a retailer that was nearly in tears because he had lost over 500 pounds of his product in an accident that they had made. For others, the Christmas spirit can also be a sense of profound depression. One poet put it this way, Christmas is a bitter day for mothers who are poor. The wistful eyes of children are daggers to endure. Though shops are crammed with playthings enough for everyone, if a mother's purse is empty, there might as well be none. For most Americans, Christmas is the season of giving presents. 
Just recently, a friend of ours shared when they had their hair, their boy's uh, haircut, the barber said, Christmas is for kids. And it's that whole idea of the spirit of giving. But the question still remains, what is the real meaning of Christmas? And in order to do that, we need to look into God's word to see what his word would teach us. What is the spirit of Christmas? So over the next four Sunday mornings, uh, what I'm going to do is look at the four songs that are recorded in the Gospel of Luke. The first one we're looking at this morning is called the Magnificat. It's the Latin word for uh, Mary's first words uh, in her song, and we'll get to that in a minute. The second is the Benedictus, and that's by Zacharias, who speaks of the birth of his son and the naming of him. The third is the Gloria, which the angels sing when they proclaim Christ's birth to the shepherds. And the last one is called the Nunc Dimittis, which is the song of Simeon. And all these songs, or actually they're more like hymns or psalms, that's a better title, are hymns of praise and they're filled with joy and wonder and adoration and praise in what God has done, what God is doing, and what He will do. And I believe as we look at these uh, songs, these hymns, over the next four Sundays, it will help us and sort of sharpen us to what is the spirit God is looking for us to have as worshipers of Him. Because songs are an outward display of an inner characteristic of a person's heart of worship. And so uh, I would appreciate your prayers that I, I would be able to speak accurately and teach myself as well as teach you on God's desire of what he wants to produce in us. Well, let's look at Mary's song. And her song begins to brew when she meets this guy, this angel, Name Gabriel. And if you remember their initial meeting, Gabriel says, Greetings, favored one. It's the Greek word theotokatos. And twice the angel says this to Mary, Greetings, favored one. Now, one translation can mean this is a person full of grace. The favored one is full of God's blessing. And that is part of themselves, that they possess this. But I, I don't think that's quite right, because that's how the Catholic Church interprets it, that Mary is one full of grace. If you look later, the angel says to give us understanding that the Lord is with you. You see, Mary is not the favored one because of things she has done to produce favor. She is the favored one because God has chosen her and set aside his blessing upon her life. He has chosen her out of his sovereignty, that this would be the mother of the Christ child. And Mary is told that a miracle will happen. And that miracle is that a virgin will bear a child. Now, if you remember the story when Mary heard this, this news troubled her. She asked the simple question, how can this be? How can this be that a virgin would have a child. And why would God have regard to me, she says, a meager common girl? She probably did not remember the passage from Isaiah when he said, For thus says the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and the holy place, with him also that is of contrite and humble spirit, to revive the spirit of the humble and to re revive the heart of the contrite. You see, Mary is told that this baby that is born, his name will be Jesus. 
And Jesus' name means what we're told it will mean right after that. He will surely save his people. Jesus means he will save. And this is the child that Mary will bear. And just like the angel's message to Joseph, Mary receives almost the identical message that this child, salvation will come only through him and that he is the son of the most high God in flesh. He is also the fulfillment of the Davidic covenant. He is the long-awaited Messiah and that his rule will not be temporary, but it will be forevermore. So how does Mary see herself? Well, let's answer that question by looking first at Elizabeth. Elizabeth sees Mary come into her home and immediately Elizabeth says, Blessed among women are you. The word conveys the idea of well spoken of or acted upon. You see, Elizabeth understands that all generations will speak well of Mary due to what God is doing through her. They see, she sees that something is working in Elizabeth that is special. And this, I would say, is the first characteristic of the spirit of Christmas. It is one who realizes they are blessed. It is one who recognizes that all that's going on in their life, God is doing something special. They've been given grace, and that grace is transformative in that person's life. And Mary responds to this blessing by believing that the words of what the Lord has said will be accomplished. So she realizes she's blessed, but in that blessing, she believes in it. Now let's think about that. She was just told that she will be with child, absent of a man, and that child will be the son of God. That is not an easy thing to believe in. I mean, think of it. That is quite difficult. How can that be? Mary just asked the question, how can that be? But what Elizabeth says is once she hears the angel's testimony, Mary believes. She gives her heart fully to God and says, I trust in you. And not only is this Christmas spirit one who realizes they've been blessed, but they also realize in faith in believing God and his promises. They act on it. They trust in it. They, no matter how outlandish it might be, such as a virgin having a child, a person who has the Christmas spirit, the spirit of worship, believes in the promises of God. You know, a question to ask ourselves possibly today is, how is your faith in God and his promises? Do you trust in them? Do you hope in them? Do you cling to them? I think Mary sets before us this young little girl, probably a teenager, and says, I believe. And she clings to them tightly. And Elizabeth says, you are blessed because you have believed in them. You have hope in them. You see, primary to the Christmas spirit, a worshiper Christ is the spirit of belief, of faith. Because without faith, the writer of Hebrews says, it is impossible to please God. If you and I are to give God the best of our praise, then we must believe him in who he is and what he has said he is going to do. We cannot do anything. We cannot give him any praise if we do not believe in those promises and who he is and that he is the Savior of the world. If we do not believe in those promises, if we do not believe in Christ, then what is our praise? It is hollow at best. 
It is lacking. A worshiper must have faith. And Mary's example of praise is recorded in Scripture because she is full of faith in God and has no confidence in her flesh. Her song that we are about to read or look at is filled with overflowing trust in the promises of God. Well, so in light of these blessings, in light of these promises, what does Mary say? She begins with these words, My soul exalts in the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. Other translations say, My soul magnifies the Lord. And that is where we get the name, the Latin name for this passage, the Magnificat. It's the Latin word for, My soul magnifies. Now, as I was preparing for this, a number of pastors commentated that Mary must have been one of the first Presbyterians. Because what what does our catechism teach us? Our chief end is to what? Glorify God and enjoy Him forever. And right from the beginning, Mary says, My soul magnifies God. I glory in Him. Notice she is nowhere a part of this. It's all about God and who He is and what He has done. And all she wants to do is give Him praise. The next word talks about how she rejoices in God my Savior. And the idea of rejoicing there is the idea of skipping around, showing one's joy by leaping. You can almost see the little girl prancing around, giving joy to God our King. It's similar to the idea we saw at the end of Malachi. Remember that? When when Malachi said, the son of righteousness appears on you and you will go out like calves leaping from the stalls? This is Mary. And she is excited about what God is doing. In 1999, I had the privilege to go to Alaska. Uh, I don't know if you've been to Alaska, but Alaska is quite a place. Um, I got to go there for 10 days. And uh, the way it happened was I had a buddy named Sam. <clears throat> and Sam uh, called me up one day. I was in Louisville, Kentucky, working at a summer missions project. And he was in Louisville. And he said, hey, Doug, I got these tickets to go anywhere in the world with Delta. Uh, do you want to come? Honestly, I thought he was joking. I totally ignored him, went on to something else, hung up the phone, didn't think a world about it. Three days later, he called me back up and he said, hey, Doug, you never gave me an answer. I got these tickets to go anywhere in the world. Their buddy passes with Delta. Do you want to come? It's like, sure. And so we talked about it, and we decided we would go to Alaska. Well, when we got to Alaska, if you've ever been there, it is a glorious state to behold. Uh, it Just its barrenness, its greenness in the summer, all the animals, it was fantastic. But the pinnacle of my trip was I got to do a thing called salmon fishing. And if you've ever been salmon fishing in Alaska, it is quite a sight. Uh, where we went was at the... Uh, uh, a base of a creek flowing out into the bay. And what happens, it's where glacier water mixes with fresh stream water. And what they do is at low tide, all the fishermen make a circle and cast their hooks in at the mouth of this uh, uh, creek that's going inland because that's where the salmon would pool until the tide rose and then they would go uh, upstream. Well, we're sitting around there and we're casting our lines in. And this was a season in my life where God was wanting to work on this thing called praise and adoration. You know, for us guys to say something like praise God or glory or hallelujah, that's kind of a little weird. That's what I was feeling as a 25, 26-year-old. People would view me as weird. And God was working on me to say, you know what? It isn't about everybody else. It's about your worship to me. And he wanted me to grow in this area. 
Well, I was giddy with anticipation. And uh, uh, cast after cast, people were dragging out salmon after salmon. And these weren't any small fish. Uh, They were quite large. And while I was fishing, in fact, all of a sudden I felt like someone took their fist and just hit me right in the back of my leg. And it was a salmon. And you couldn't see anything in the water. scared me to death. And so all this is building... And I'm like, oh, Lord, please let me have one. You know, just, just all this stuff. Now, I know you all never pray prayers like that. <laughs> but I was praying that. And sure enough, I hooked a salmon. And I brought him in. And I just couldn't help it. I was just saying, praise God. Lord, thank you. Praise God. Now, I wonder what those people around me were thinking. What was happening in me was God was producing in me a worship of him because all the good events were completely of his control. He controlled that fish to grab that spoon, to get on that line and make sure it wouldn't, he wouldn't come off to eventually get into my net. And that eight pound salmon was just a, a, a object of God's goodness to me. You know, I think one of the things that God wants us to produce in all of us is that we would become worshipers like Mary, that whenever we see the goodness of the Lord in our life, we cannot help but praise. And we cannot help but say, it is God who did this for me. Not that I got lucky. You know that old adage, well, you got lucky today. No, I got blessed today. Or you're fortunate. Well, we are fortunate. It's God's good grace. But I think what God wants in us is to give praise, to magnify Him, no matter who's around. Remember Jesus when He walked, came in uh, to Jerusalem? He said, even the rocks will cry out. That should be true of us, that no matter what's going on, we must we desire to give God praise for the goodness and the bounty in our, our lives. And I believe that's what Mary is teaching us here today. Notice, too, this act of worship begins inside of Mary. It's a bubbling spring. Jesus said, from the innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. You see, true worship starts from within and goes without. In the Old Testament, the Lord beckoned Israel to rend their hearts, not their garments. That their worship must begin in here. And then eventually it'll come outward. Don't start with the outward and work inward. Begin with the inward and it works outward. And worship is sincere and not fake. David said in Psalm 51 that he would desire truth in the inner being. But as worship is both internal and sincere, it does not stay there. It eventually must come out of us. And that is what Mary is teaching us when she says, My God is magnificent. My God is glorious. She cannot help but give Him praise. And it also begins in Mary because she has seeped her head in God's Word. You know, something I would encourage you to do uh, after this sermon, maybe today or later this week, is look up all the cross-references in the Old Testament that Mary quotes from. One of the clearest ones that she quotes from is Hannah's prayer. Some of you may remember the story of Hannah. Hannah was a a barren woman, and she desired to have a child, and she prayed and prayed and prayed, and still nothing happened. And finally she goes and sees Eli, beseeches the Lord, cries out with deep cryings, and her, her cry is heard. And Eli says, the priest says, God has heard your cry. Go at home with peace. 
And then she has given the child Samuel. And as a result, she magnifies Lord when she hears that she is going to have a son. And those same phrases, the same things that Mary exalts in God, she saw first in Hannah exalting in God. And if you looked at those passages, that you would see them rejoicing both that God is their Savior and that He is holy and He has put down the mighty and exalted the lowly and He has filled the hungry with good things and He has sent the rich away empty-handed. You see, for, our, for us to have true worship, the Christmas spirit that God desires, we have to soak our minds in this word. We have to marinate. Not just dip. Not just spot check. But we got to allow it to culminate, to ruminate in our being. And that's what we see when Mary does it. There's just an explosion in her of everything that's been pouring into her over these times. She's not someone who just say, oh, I'm going to copy this and cut and paste this and, oh, that sounds like a nice little poem to say to God. No, this is something true that has been brewing in her for some time. And the result of her knowledge of God and His Word, it brings us to a fourth principle, a description of worship that is true in a worship God, and that is humility. Notice what Mary says. Mary says, For he has had regard for the humble state of, of his bond slave, for behold, all generations will count me blessed. You know, I think it's amazing to see the remarkable maturity in a young woman who has barely passed the marks of puberty. Here she is seeing that God has blessed her infinitely, that she would be the mother of Jesus. And let me add just a little slight caveat. Don't forget here who Luke is telling this story too. Remember the beginning of Luke? He writes it to a guy named Theophilus. And Theophilus was a Greek ruler. And most people back in those days in Roman culture assumed that the rich and the powerful and the famous were esteemed by the gods. They were the ones blessed by the gods because they had it so good. Luke says just the opposite. He says the people who are blessed are those who are broken and humble, and those of lowly estate. These are the ones that God chooses, and He uses them to show His glory. And Mary delights in this lowliness that God blesses her. And I think Luke wants Theophilus to understand that God is no respecter of persons. He chooses, and He will use whomever He wants to use. He's chosen us. He's chosen you. He's chosen me to be his servants. I like what John Calvin says, Mary makes so little of herself that she ascribes to God's mercy alone the honor done to her. Luke's vocabulary is thus quite unambiguous. Now this is a point worth stressing since it reveals that God receives due praise only when we reserve nothing to ourselves. And then a little later he said, Thus, all our praise is a sham and falsehood until we see that we are nothing and until we freely and frankly admit that there is not a drop of goodness in us and that everything we have is from God. Mary, in her song, says, you know what this is? All this goodness? It's mercy. That's the phrase she uses. It's mercy. And remember what mercy is? It's not getting what we do deserve. Mary says, what I ought to deserve is judgment, but what I'm getting is mercy. 
And this blessing moves her to praise. She says, His mercy extends to those who fear Him from generation to generation. He has brought down rulers from their thrones and has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and has sent the rich away empty-handed. Pastor John Piper commented this way. He said, True worshipers of God are those who are overwhelmed at their lowly estate and overwhelmed by the condescension of the Lord. You know, if we're going to possess the Christmas spirit, we need to ask ourselves, how do we see our estate before God? Do we see ourselves as one who deserves mercy or one who deserves grace or one who deserves a pat on the back? Or are we like Mary that says, man, praise God that you give me anything at all. You are so infinitely good to me. You see, those that understand this truth are growing in it are in our possessing the Christmas spirit. And notice a flip side too here. Mary also understands that one who sees the mercy of God also understands God's animosity towards the proud. She said, he has scattered the proud and he has brought down rulers from their thrones. My dear friends, make no mistake. God is opposed to the proud. And as worshipers of Jesus, we need to examine ourselves in light of Mary's words. Are we esteeming ourselves over the majesty of God? In other words, do we see ourselves above others or that they're beneath us? Those are so easy to do. And then there's a flip side to this coin of pride. There's the pride of exalting ourselves, but then there's this other flip side of pride, the other side of the coin, and it's called self-pity. One of my favorite movies during the Christmas time is It's a Wonderful Life. Many of you have seen that movie. George in that movie battles with his frustration that he has not been able to achieve what he has desired his whole life. He wanted to go and see the world. Remember, George was going to lasso the moon and bring it down to his wife and do all those great and grandiose things, but instead he got to uh, uh, stay in his town of, forget, something falls. I forget the first name of it. Bedford Falls, thank you. And he has to run his savings and loan store of his father. And he drives this old rickety car. And how bad he has it. And he gets more and more frustrated till his uncle loses the money. In fact, it was stolen. And George is just growing and growing in more and more self-pity. It's the flip side of pride. It's not how good I am, but how bad I have it. You see where the focus is? It's on the person. It's on me. But like the movie, what George and what we need to see is how good we have it. And Mary doesn't focus on that. She is this poor girl that one day she's going to have the Savior world, but yeah, he's going to be born in a manger with a bunch of cows around that stink. She doesn't focus on that. She focuses on the goodness of God and that he's blessed her. You see, I believe God wants us to see that we are not to complain, but to give glory to him. Well, there's one last thing I want to point out about Mary that she teaches us about a Christmas spirit, and that is this, that God has been faithful to his promise that he would indeed provide a Savior in which all the nations will be blessed. She says, He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, even as he said to our fathers. You see, Mary reminds us how faithful God is to his word. God is absolutely sure. His promises never go away. 
And though we are tempted and enticed to distrust his vows, she reminds us that God never ever has faltered to be faithful to his word. That is a sure bet, she tells us. Calvin tells us we should meditate on this principle. He says this, We learn, therefore, from our text that we can fully trust God not to disappoint us, since he has promised to care for us. We must accordingly yield to his control and follow his leading. On the other hand, if we doubt and question his truth, if we were like reeds shaken in the wind, if our faith falters at every turn, it is as if we make God a liar and deliberately spurn his grace, refusing to let it, let it do its work in us. So let us open our mouths wide. Let our minds and understanding break free. Let us no longer be slaves to our wickedness. May God enter and give us such power to his word that all may see that to rely on him is no vain thing. You see, it's because God has done amazing set things and, he, and that he is faithful to his world that there is amazing song for us to sing. There is a song for us to sing that God who told Abraham one day that all the nations of the world will be blessed through him we have that song to continue singing that, yes, Jesus has come and that all the nations can be blessed through him. And you know what? He has blessed our lives. So as we gaze at Mary's song, we should celebrate his coming. We've seen today that she teaches us five things. One, that a worshiper of God is one who recognizes God's blessings in their life. They're also one who believes in God's word, that when God tells them something, they cling to it. And they, they sing praises full of faith, not doubting. They trust that heaven and earth may pass away, but God's word will never change. They're thirdly one who sees their chief priority as bringing glory to God. Other things may uh, 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 come after them and tempt them to think other ways, but a true worshiper of God is one whose chief priority is to bring, them, bring him glory. Fourthly, it is one who takes no glory in themselves. One who doesn't say, look how well I've done or how great I am, but their focus is on God. And then fifthly, Mary's song teaches us that worship of God longs for and remembers God's abundant faithfulness to his word and to his promises. That is the Christmas spirit. Dear brothers and sisters, as we put those truths to practice in our souls and our lives, we cannot help but worship God. We cannot help it. It, it. There's nothing we can do to stop it if we are doing those things. It will abound in us. And if we get a deal when we go to the store and we get that Christmas present that we have desired all day to get for our beloved or our children, we cannot help but say to that clerk, praise God that I got this gift for my family. It is God who has blessed me with this ability. And so we give honor to him during this Christmas time. Let's pray. Lord, you are indeed a glorious one, one who the angels sing and who wise men sought out, whose shepherd left their most valued possession to find. You are the Christ, the Messiah, the Savior of your church. Lord, help our hearts to magnify you as Mary did. Help us to love you above all else and help us to be amazed at your mercy, how the holy God would humble himself and take on flesh so that he might ransom us to the Father. May there be in us a new glow when we say Merry Christmas, because we know our Christmas is Mary in Christ alone. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.